This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. Blog Talk Radio. Hey, guys. It's time for the Finsider podcast once again. It might be a quick show tonight simply because I'm flying solo. James and Keith both are uh, unavailable tonight. James has some stuff going on, and Keith got called into work, and uh, looks like it's just me. So uh, if you want to give us a call, please do. I will love to hear from you because otherwise you're going to hear me babble for a while until I get bored, and then I'm just going to go ahead and go off the air. So uh, let's hear what you guys want to talk about. Um, Things that are on my mind right now are obviously uh, the depth chart. I'm thinking about the depth chart and how this is all going to work out, specifically Cannahill, but I don't know. We'll see how that goes. more I watch lately, I'm watching more and more videos of him, and obviously the videos on YouTube are going to be highlights, but more I watch of him, the more I like, the more I'm impressed. I, I wanted him back at the draft, but the more I watch now, the more excited I get, and I think that's pretty much the way the uh, fan base is going right now. We're uh, We're getting more and more excited the more we think about it, so call in, happily talk uh, – talk some Ryan Tannehill or anything else, Miami Dolphins. Phone number, in case you don't have it by now, is 347-326-9461. Give us a call. That's the same number every week, so program it in your phone. You're good to go. Get us that phone call real quick, and uh, we'll happily listen. Uh, Big one tonight I'm going to push is Twitter, simply because I can keep up with it. Uh, Put the uh, hashtag Finsider in there. And that'll help me just because I'm trying to bounce between everything tonight. Um, like I said, I'm flying solo. I don't have my producer here to help me out tonight. So uh, bear with me as I get everything under control. But happily, take your tweets, take your calls. Um, if you're in the Finsider chat room or the uh, correction, the Finsider thread, I'm in there too. But it's really quiet right now because I'm the only one in there. So come over to the the thread. Come talk to me. Um, Tannehill, Garrard, and more. It's going to be an interesting camp battle. Um, Garrard talked about it yesterday that the three quarterbacks sat in a meeting and were looking at the playbook and going everything, and it was really weird for the rookie to be the one that knows the playbook the best. And – that's a good thing. I, I can't find fault with that because 
you know what? The veterans, they understand how the NFL works. They'll get the playbook down. They'll be ready to go. But when your rookie is coming in and he knows the playbook, how, how is that a problem? I mean, he's going to be strong. He's going to be ready to go. And uh, the Dolphins will be able to use him when they want to use him. So it should be it should be a good thing, for Miami. Um, I don't know if the uh, heat game is making people stay away. It's uh, 69-55 Indiana, Indiana right now at the end of the third. So if you're watching that, I can give you updates if you're listening in with me too. I mean, I can multitask, <laughs> but I'm flying solo. So you just get to hear me babble. Um, BJ Cunningham signed today. That's a good thing. We had, we we we've started signing our rookies, our draft picks. So we'll see how long that takes. Finish it up. It's really a process that's that's uh, going to take. A lot of effort, given that the Dolphins and every other team just have to go to the rookie wage scale, and bam, it's done. It's over with. So we'll uh, it's over with. We'll see how that goes. Hey, uh, Beaver, I don't know if you still can't hear it. I just checked it and it's working. So hopefully you can hear me right now. Um, but we, uh, we, we'll slowly work our way through. Um, if you guys don't know the way it works, the rookies essentially are given, this is the maximum amount that your, uh, deal can be worth. You can negotiate a little bit for the, uh, guaranteed money, which is where the difference will come in between each rookie and how well they can negotiate. But still, in the long run, it doesn't really make that much of a difference. Um, For like Tannehill, he'll sign a four-year deal with a fifth-year option. So it's just a matter of time before he's actually under contract. But like I said before, there's absolutely zero rush for Jeff Ireland or any of the Dolphins front office to get these rookies under contract because in previous years, you always had the threat of the holdout and there was the rush to get them in as quickly as possible. And there was so much work and you had to start negotiating early because you had to get them, get their deals worked out and all that. Well, now with the wage scale, there's not a lot to negotiate. So if Jeff Ireland or whoever he has in his place decides, you know what, I don't want to talk to the rookie until the week before training camp, the negotiation is pretty bland and isn't going to take up a lot of time anyway. So it doesn't really matter when he starts talking to him. The fact that Cunningham is signed means that obviously somebody's talking to somebody. So we're getting there. Um, we'll see how long it takes to get everybody signed, but 
Hey, at least start, right? Uh, okay. Thief says the uh, site is working, so we must be up and running now. Um, call in, guys. Talk to me. I'm kind of just babbling, like I said. Uh, I really kind of want to talk to somebody. But, hey, if not, I can make it through. Um, phone number, once again, 347-326-9461. Tweet us. Use the hashtag pound finsider. Makes it easier for me. That way it's it pops right up because I have that list made. So uh, do that or put a comment in the thread on the site. Um, lots of ways to get a hold of us. Otherwise, you're just going to hear me for a while. Um, what else is going on Dalton's land? Um, we can talk uh, the fun of AFC East rivals. I, uh, I'm loving the Tony Soprano situation in New York. It's, I, I find it And I'm back. Um, sorry about that, guys. My uh, my phone apparently decided to drop the call. Of course it did because I'm here tonight by myself, so there's not a whole lot of uh, of people to cover down on me when I get kicked out of the show. So, yeah, you guys get the nice random no talking on the air, dead air time that we really try to avoid, but – I don't know why I got kicked out. Um, yeah. Sorry about that. Not looking like a good show tonight. Um, want to uh, want to stress, um, I'm going to do it here at some point, but uh, make sure if you are a Iraq War, Afghanistan War, Desert Storm, World War II, Vietnam, whatever war uh, you participated in, if that's the right terminology to use, whatever war you went to, whatever deployment you went on, Bosnia, Haiti, um, Guantanamo Bay, wherever you went, if you are a veteran, SB Nation wants to hear from you. And we want to hear from you in a video format. So it's your chance to be in one of the SB Nation videos over on YouTube. What they want you to do is webcam, video camera, whatever you have, whatever you want to use, um, make a video and just tell us what your favorite sports memory is during the deployment. Um, Basically, it can be anything, and the examples they use are staying up till 3 a.m. to watch the Super Bowl. Um, we've got 
how you get the news of your team. Um, it can be something like playing soccer with the Iraqi children or whatever it is, any sports memory you have from your deployment that years later or if you just got back, you remember from the entire deployment. Whatever it is, just make a video. It doesn't have to be anything long. It doesn't have to be anything in-depth. Just make a video and post it to YouTube or uh, TwitVid it, something. Then send a message over to Matt Uford of SB Nation, and he'll, uh, he'll include them, edit them all together, and include them in a video for Memorial Day. And it'll, uh, it, the, all the information is on the site, on the Finsider. There's a link to Matt's uh, article about how to do it at the end of the article I put up. So please, if you're listening, if you have a memory from a deployment, head over there, find a way to make the video, and uh, should be some good stuff. I got a couple memories I'm going to put in my video when I make it. So watch for me during it once it comes out. And if you have a, uh, have a memory you want to share, please do so because it will be great in the long run, I think. Um, I'm scrolling through the site right now trying to come up with stuff to talk about because I don't have anybody to talk to. Um, oh, the Tony Soprano thing. I was talking about before I got my call dropped, which maybe it was Tony that made my call drop. Hmm. Interesting concept. Um, basically, Tony's being Tony. You guys remember early in the season, Tony was extremely strict with exactly how practices would run, um, everything from what he wanted to see. And if you ran the play wrong, he'd run it again, and he wanted it exactly how he wanted it. Well, after 0-7, Tony had to loosen up and go, okay, this isn't working. I have to change something. And he did, and we started winning. Now, I don't think that the strictness makes Tony Sperano a bad coach. I just think it didn't work for us for some reason. And that's fine. Um, with uh, the Jets and the looseness that they've had, his strictness probably something they need. So I like hearing these stories. Um, if you haven't read it uh, this morning, posted a uh, story about it. Um, Dustin Keller, the uh, Jets tight end, talks about that Tony runs a tighter ship than he's seen from anyone before. And then it goes on. Um, Mark Sanchez is in there. A couple other Jets are quoted in it. I really do wish Tony success in future endeavors. I cannot wish him success in New York Jets endeavors but I can wish him success in future endeavors once he moves on from the Jets. Which brings us to the other fun former Dolphin uh, that came up this week was uh, Chad Henney. And if you guys did not see that thread last night over on uh, the um, Jacksonville Jaguar site, Big Cat Country, there was a guy in there that 
you would have thought Chad Henney was the next coming of Joe Montana and Dan Marino and Peyton Manning mixed together. And it was so funny because his basic argument came down to in 2009, no, 2010, the Dolphins beat the uh, Green Bay Packers in Green Bay in like week four, week five, somewhere around there. It was early on in the season. I guess I could look it up, but I don't really feel like it right now. Um, during that game, Henny threw for two touchdowns and an interception. And this guy felt that that is Henny's signature win. That win right there proves he is an NFL quarterback. And I tried to stay out of it for a long time. I didn't, I didn't get involved. I just kept reading it. And I was talking to Alfie, the guy that runs Big Cat Country, on Twitter about the ridiculousness of this. And eventually I had to get in because this guy just made Henny sound like the greatest quarterback ever. And I'm like, guy, look, there's a reason the Dolphins released him or let him walk. Didn't release him, but let him walk. If he was good, we would have kept him. If we could have gotten value out of him, we would have gotten value out of him. Chad Henney is not a bad quarterback. Don't get me wrong. I hope he goes up to Jacksonville and he does find success because I really think the coaching is what got him in the end because I th- I really, truly believe um, Tony Sperano's absolute cannot-have-a-turnover mentality ruined Chad Henney because Henney was so concerned about making the – the mistake and throwing that interception that he would force the ball into places he couldn't force it, which then led to the turnover. So I, I really think that's what ended up hurting Chad Henney. I really hope he goes up to Jacksonville and he does well. I really would like him to. But I, I don't think that this guy realizes that Henney's not a great quarterback. Henney is – a solid quarterback, probably needs time as a backup to learn a little bit more, learn the system, get some more experience before he can be a starter again. Unfortunately, he's going to Jacksonville where he's not going to be the backup behind a veteran. He's going to be the backup behind Blaine Gabbert and very easily could beat out Blaine Gabbert and be the starting quarterback there. And I honestly wouldn't be surprised. Um, Henny... Henny's fun, but talking to this guy, I, I really think that Henny's signature moment was actually last year during that week one loss to the Patriots because everybody remembers that Tom Brady threw for 500 yards and torched the Dolphins secondary and was just the greatest game of Tom Brady's career, but nobody – Nobody seems to remember that Chad Henney threw for 416 yards during that game. Chad Henney was on it during week one last year. And unfortunately, he couldn't keep going because he got injured, and then he lost his job. And that's okay. It's time to move on, which brings us back to Ryan Tannehill. And I wish Chad Henney all all the success in the world, except for next year when he plays the Dolphins. So, um, yeah, it's uh, pretty quiet. 
Nobody's tweeting me. Use the hashtag pound finsider. Let me hear from you. Let me know that you're out there. Um, Troy Aikman, man, this guy in his first year, one in fifteen. That's true, Beef. He was one in fifteen. So, and yes, Earl, that is huge. Uh, Earl agrees or says that Henny's signature win was 2009 against the Jets on Monday night. Yeah, that's probably right. I mean, if you're going to pick a win, yes, I, I think that probably is. Um, and Henny could have had a lot better stats this past year and the year before. But this past year, in those first games before he got injured, he could have had better stats, as uh, Earl points out, because we had drop machine Marshall. I, I I don't want to use the excuse that, oh, Henny was a great quarterback and the receivers let him down, because obviously he wasn't, and he's not. But Henny could have had better stats and could have looked better if our receivers could have held onto the ball. I really, I really wanted last year to see what he could give. I'm not saying that I was convinced that we wouldn't be taking Ryan Tannehill or somebody this year, but I really would have liked to see what he could have done with that team at the end of last year when the defense woke up, when the team figured out, oh, hey, you know that Reggie Bush guy, maybe we should actually use him in a way that makes sense for Reggie Bush. So I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know what uh, what – will happen with Henny, but we'll see. I mean, he's not that far away, so if you're in Orlando, you're going to get the Jacksonville games over the uh, Dolphins games anyway. So, Meanwhile, I'm going to get fun-filled Houston and Dallas games sitting here in Central Texas. Uh, time to get DirecTV back. <laughs> um. Yeah. What do you guys want to talk about? Somebody post something real quick because I think I'm talked out with nobody on the show with me. So I may just be done for the night. It, like I said at the beginning, it's going to be a real quick show. I love to talk. I'm a very talkative person. But, man, it's uh, it's hard to do a show by yourself. So... <sighs> Yeah, rather than dead air. I think I'm going to go ahead and uh, close the show, guys. Um, Made it about half an hour tonight. Wasn't the best show on the face of the earth, simply because, yeah, I'm not the best talker on the face of the earth about the Dolphins when I can't bounce ideas off somebody. But that's okay. Um, Ooh, ooh, I have a caller. Hello, caller. Who are you? This is Alpha 6. Hey, Alpha, how's it going? Good. How are you guys doing? I'm doing well. I'm bored out of my mind talking to myself for the last half hour. <laughs> What's up? Well, good. Hey, um, I wanted to talk a little bit about who's going to be the defensive end opposite of Cameron Wake. Everybody's talking about Jared Audrick, uh not being good enough, and, of course, you know, we drafted Vernon. And so I was just wondering what your take was on that. I think it's Vernon's to lose. I think that Audric has the 
Odric is like one um, A behind Vernon right now. Um, I think he could still be the starting defensive end. I would like to see him in there, at least in situational use, and see if he can do it. Um, it would be interesting. I think I, I still want to see how the Dolphins end up using Kadu. I think he's going to end up being back in the linebackers, but with his speed, he could just they could just look to turn him into a pass rusher also. So we could have doubled up with Vernon and Kadu and be looking to get pass rushers for both for both of them. That'd be great. I think Kadu uh, is uh, is one of the aces that uh, the Dolphins have drafted, and I think that having him and Audric even in the, in the same lineup and uh, rushing the passer from one side would be awesome. Yeah, I think I think you have an, you have a good option there. Kadu has the speed and the ability to cover tight end, so that may lean him more towards going back to probably back up Kevin Burnett. But if they want to just get pure athletic ability onto the field, rushing the passer makes sense for him. The the scouting reports are that he doesn't he doesn't do well when he has to read. He's more of an instinct go get the ball guy. And what better way than say, hey, your only job is to rush the passer. Right. So, right. And you, you don't think that uh, Dansby is going to be the tight end coverage linebacker? Do you think it's going to be Burnett? I think or it's going to be Burnett. I think it'll be Burnett or Cadu. Um, I, I think that Dansby ends up on the weak side. I don't think that's a shot at Dansby's ability to cover a tight end. I think it's a Burnett has a better ability to do it. So wow. I think so he that, ends up, that means it leaves uh, uh, Misi. In the middle. Um, either Misi or Guyton. Yeah. Isn't it Guyton? Isn't that the linebacker we picked up? Oh, that's right. Um, that's right. Yeah. I, I, I think it's the two of them in the middle. And I think that you end up with uh, Dansby on the weak side and Burnett on the strong side. Every time I do my updated depth charts on the site, I change how I think the linebackers are going to be. Because I just – I, I sit there and I go, okay, well, if I put him here, then that means I have to put him here, and I, I play with it every time. But right now, that's where I'm leaning: is Dansby on the weak side and uh, Burnett on the strong side. Well, with that's very good. When with that kind of a lineup, I think the corners or the defensive backfield is going to have a better time covering. Yeah. Yep, I think that the four-three. I mean, granted, we're still going to be a hybrid. You're still going to see a 3-4 lineup, but I think the 4-3 base will make us a lot of money. And oh, very I, I good. think that so, we have the linebackers to do it. We're looking at a pretty exciting season, at least defensively. I hope so. I'm hoping so. I think uh, and um, listening to some of the uh, the, if you want to call them experts, whatever they uh whatever you want to call them. Right. Um, I think uh, they were talking about um, Davis and Smith. I don't know why I blanked on Vontae Davis's name there for a second. Mm-hmm. They were uh, they were talking about Vontae Davis and Sean Smith, and I think it was Omar 
specifically who I'm thinking of right now. But they were discussing that those guys actually can still be Pro Bowl corners, both of them. And it's just a matter of how do we use them? Because we didn't use them right last year. Right. And I, I think I think it's I think it's a valid point. Smith, I mean, both of them can body up on a uh, on a wide receiver. Smith's size should help him just destroy some receivers. I mean, hopefully he spent like 23 hours a day during this offseason in front of a jugs machine learning how to catch a ball. But that's <laughs> yeah. another issue. So I, I do. I think our defense, our defense has some really, really good potential. Obviously, the safety position still kind of scary. Um, I'm not sure where we end up with the safeties. We'll see. And maybe the answer there is that eventually Sean Smith moves back to safety. I don't know. Um, we'll that, that could be. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking, or I'm leaning towards a uh, Rashad Jones and a uh, Jerry Wilson uh, safety I think combo. That's, I think that's probably what we start with at the beginning of the year. Um, I think that Wilson actually has the uh, the athletic ability to be back there, and Rashad Jones showed he's he's got some skills back there. He just needs to be reined in a little bit because he's he's the type of guy. And maybe I, I, without Jeremiah Bell back there, it'll be interesting to see. Um, but Jones likes to do be that guy that I'm going to go make the big play, and when he doesn't make the big play, we get screwed. But right, right, we'll see how it goes. Jerry Wilson, Jerry Wilson is the same way, I think. Yeah, he he kind of is. Um, we'll see. Part of it may have been rookie mistakes last year, so I I, I can't really tell for sure. We'll see how right. it goes this year, especially with a move to a new position. So. We'll see how it goes. But All right. Well, well, it sounds exciting. We look forward to it. Well, thanks for calling in. You bet. You you have a good night. You too. Bye. And I have another caller calling in. I have no idea who you are, so who is this? This is Duke. Hey, Duke. What's up, man? Uh, not a whole lot. Just listening in. <laughs> it's, uh, it kind of sucks to not have a producer tonight. <laughs> I, I, I sit there and look at my switchboard, and I'm like, hey, I've got callers. I don't know who you are. You could be calling in and saying anything. I'm going to hit the button anyway. <laughs> but what's on your mind tonight? Uh, not much. I was just listening in to uh, you and Alpha were talking about, and it, uh, I think especially with the safety position, I think that um, one of the things that I think they'll use Sean Smith similar to the way they used him last year and that – in certain packages, he will drop back as a safety, and he will help cover tight ends because he has the size and the physicality, or should have the physicality, to cover the tight ends. And I think that's where Jones and some of those guys kind of struggled with. And hopefully with the new 4-3 switch that our linebackers will be able to help that a little more and let the safeties kind of roam back there and do this thing. And I think it was just a, a scheme thing that kind of messed up the safeties a little bit. And uh, I think we should see an improvement from them this year, especially since Kevin Coyle is a secondary specialist. Yeah, Coyle will make money for, especially for Vontae Davis and Sean Smith. But, yeah, mm-hmm. I, 
that is a that oh, I, I hadn't even thought about it yet, but if they can work a scheme where you put Sean Smith on the tight end, especially when we're up against some of these athletic tight ends out there, if you put Sean Smith on him, because he does have the size, you're right. He has the size to be able to go with a tight end and still has the athletic ability that the linebackers are normally missing. So mm-hmm. you can put them on there, put a Sean Smith on the tight end, move Jimmy Wilson or Rashad Jones or somebody else out to cover the wide receiver, a slot guy or something. You could you could probably get away with that, and that would work out well. We yeah, go down to one of the five worst losses in Heat history. Wow. People are not liking the fact that the Heat are losing by 20 in the fourth quarter right now. I'm not <laughs> a basketball fan, so I haven't been watching the playoffs, I admit. But I'm, not a, I'm not a Heat fan. But I'm not a Heat fan, but after last game, the ridiculousness of uh, just trying to blame everything on LeBron James finally got to me. Mm-hmm. I'm not a Heat fan. I'm not a LeBron James fan. I'm not a LeBron James hater. But it's just the fact that he misses a couple shots at the very end of the game completely ignores everything that he did throughout the rest of the game, and it's all his fault. Even though, like, uh, Dwayne Wade misses a layup, but somehow that's LeBron James' fault. But okay, back it, to it must be a. It, I would say <laughs> it must be a Miami thing that somebody messes up something and they have to blame for it. Um, it, it might actually you know, be like, Penny's fault. Yeah, <laughs> and I did read some of that post and what the people were talking about with Henny, but it's you know I started thinking about it, like you know we'd probably do the same thing if. If we brought over a quarterback from somewhere else, um, let's say we had brought in Alex Smith, as we talked to him in free agency, yep. there would be a group that was like, oh, this guy made it to the you know, the NFC title game. He's going to be great. And then there'd be another step that's like, this guy sucks. So yep. we'd... Oh, yeah. And, and so you saw it. They're at least trying it, to look on the positive side over there. It is. It is. It's just. I think this guy was on the far extreme, and it made it funny. And even their uh, even their um, managing editor, Alfie, was going, "Dude, you don't know what you're talking about." But I, and you saw it this year with um, with uh, Matt Flynn. Half the fan, mm-hmm. half the Fensider community was he's. He's going to be outstanding. He's going to be the greatest thing. We have to get him. And half of them were going, he only has two starts. What the hell are we doing? So, mm-hmm. yeah, you're right. It, it it really is a matter of um, the fan base trying to get behind the guy. Yeah. And they they have the same problem we had. I mean, they have Blaine Gabbert, who nobody trusts. Everybody wants him out. And now they have a backup quarterback that they seem to like. So yeah. it, it's the Chad Henney, we want Kyle Orton situation all over again, except they actually have Chad Henney. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, that, what is that saying, that the, uh, the the backup quarterback is always the most favorite guy on the team? Yes. Uh, yes. So, uh, and, you know, I think that. <laughs> and and when you're the Jets, the backup quarterback's the most favorite guy in the league. Yeah, so, <laughs> sorry. That's a, other, that's a whole other mess to deal with there, and uh, and you know I like to go as a person, and this just makes 
like, I don't want to like it now. Yeah. Uh, I'll yep. go back to uh, we're talking about the cornerbacks a little bit. One of the guys I think that we can't really sleep on this year, and he struggled really bad last year, that was Nolan Carroll. And I made a yep. prediction a couple of seasons ago. I think it was after, toward the end of his rookie season, I said, this guy could be, a, be the starting cornerback at some point. And I think if Sean Smith or Vontae Davis struggle early in the year, I think he could come in and start for them. Now, a lot of people probably say, well, he wasn't that good. Well, he started out the year pretty rough. But as the year progressed, he got progressively better. And I think that, I think, you know, that he, he, he got the injury in college that kind of slowed him down. I think he's getting his feet back under him now. I think this guy could be a real, real weapon to use. And so, you could see a potential, a potential um, lineup out there where Sean Smith kind of moves in as a third safety. Carroll takes one of the receivers off the edge, and you have Marshall coming in as a um, as a uh, nickelback. And you know, I don't know that they would want to use a six six defensive back front out there, but if they did, you know that that would be a potentially devastating for the opponents. Yeah, and I, Nolan Carroll's the one player on the team that I've actually met, so I'm all for him getting more playing time just because I can name drop that I've actually met the guy. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I think you're right. He did. He he progressed last year. He really did. Um, at the same time, the whole secondary progressed last year as the season mm-hmm. went on. So we'll see, and maybe in – Kevin Coyle's system, Nolan Carroll takes that next step. It'll be interesting to see. Plus, you can't say anything bad about him because Nolan Carroll's mother's the lieutenant governor of Florida, and then you get in the whole yeah. kinds of issues, and she can, like, have you removed from Florida or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but yeah, so um, they're talking a little bit in the uh, in the thread about Garrard versus Moore. So, assuming Tannehill doesn't start this year, who do you think starts, Moore or Garrard? Uh, I'm going to go with David Garrard. And really, I remember I uh, I did a post right before free agency kind of kicked in, and I said one of the free agent guys to look for, if we don't get Peyton Manning and we're not sold on that win, watch out for David Garrard because he's a smart quarterback, He's he's basically like an athletic Chad Pennington. He's smart with the ball. He's not he's not going to you know kill you. He's not going to be the next Tom Brady or anything. But he's going to protect the ball. He's going to make plays. And what I think about him is that you know I watched that interview he did with the, the other Finsiders, and um, and I listened. It's like 15 minutes long. It was a really good interview. And he just seems like you know he's a smart guy. He seems like that. He's the kind of guy that, you know, he's at that age, at that point where he can be a stopgap and let Tannehill progress at his own speed. But he's not a guy that you're going to say, well, you know, we're only going to get six wins with this guy. He's a guy that can win you ten games. He's got playoff experience. And Matt Moore is notoriously bad in practice. He's one of those guys that steps up and plays well in games but doesn't look that good in practice. And maybe it might have been because of the shortened off season last year, but Alejandro was doing all those you know, training camp post, and he was saying, you know, Chad Henney looks better than Matt Moore, hands down. 
then you look at what happened in the regular season, and Matt Moore was, you know, played better than Henny. So I think Gerard's going to win it in camp. And the reason I'd like to see him win it, not because of anything against Matt Moore, but Tannehill is your quarterback of the future. If Matt Moore yeah. wins, he's still 27 years old. He's, you know, he might want to continue starting. He would lose some trade value, but with Gerard winning the start, you know, it's going to be Gerard, then Tannehill. Makes more kind of expendable, and you could probably trade him and get something for it. Yep. I don't think you could think, trade Gerard anything for him. No, but I think that that would be uh, that would probably be the ideal situation for the Dolphins that Gerard could come in and win the job. Tannehill show that he's ready. He can sit for a year on his backup, but he's ready, and the Dolphins could go okay. Somewhere out there, somebody needs a quarterback. Because a quarterback somewhere is going to get hurt. And mm-hmm. trade Matt Moore. Get, I mean, you're not looking for a first-round draft pick from for him. But get something. And then Tannehill does it next year. Now, what do you think happens this year if Moore wins the job or Garrard wins the job and goes out there and has a Pro Bowl caliber year? Whether they make the Pro Bowl or not, I don't know. But has a Pro Bowl caliber year. What happens next year? Do they keep the job, or do the Dolphins then go, okay, it's time for us to get Tannehill in? Well, I think it depends on the wins. If even one of them go out there and have, you know, put up Pro Bowl numbers, and, you know, maybe with maybe with the NFL getting rid of the game, the Pro Bowl will actually gain some kind of, gain some meaning back at this point, you know, half of the, Half of the guys who get voted in don't don't play, and so you get you know the fourth and fifth options out there. So you know, and I don't think Andy Dalton was a Pro Bowl quarterback last year. Uh, he wasn't ahead of you know guys who should have been on there but didn't play, like Brady or whoever. But let's say they did. We only got eight wins. I think they still move ahead with Tannehill. Yeah. If even one of them come out and have a Pro Bowl year and get eleven wins and a playoff win. You know, I, I like Tannehill, and I'm glad he's on the team, but I, I'd ride the hot hand, you know. Yep. And it, it really becomes right. interesting if Moore wins that job and does that because if if Moore does it, being his age and he does that, and he's progressed, then you're going to have kind of a, a an actual quarterback controversy on your hands. Like, well, you've got this guy, he took you to the playoffs, he made the Pro Bowl, but then you got your first-round draft pick. What do you do? If it's Gerard, you say, yeah, well, We'll ride him one more season, and then it's Tannehill's job. So, yeah, probably you're probably right. I mean, it would be it would be interesting to see what would happen if uh, Matt Moore. I almost said David Moore, confusing my quarterbacks now. If Matt Moore actually goes out there and just blows it up, what do the Dolphins do? I mean, blows it up this year, and then blows it up again next year. What do the Dolphins do? I mean, at that point, you have the Matt Flynn situation happening. A, a, a backup quarterback sitting there that you took high, and now you're just waiting to get him in the game, and you never can get him in the game because your starter is actually playing well. So it'll be interesting. I think, but I, don't, uh, yeah. I think I think this is still Tannehill's team in a year. Yeah. If not this year. Yeah, and I mean, I think it's going to come down to – it's going to come down to the, the receivers, I think, in that regard. I think that 
looking at what we have, and I'm one of the few that's optimistic that we have some some talent on the team at the wide receiver position. I think uh, Jeff Fuller has a really good chance of making the team. Um, I'm a big fan of Roberto Wallace, and I would love to see him step up and be that uh, that Z receiver in the offense. He's got yeah. the size and stuff for it. And there's some guys out there that I think can can make the team and do well. If if I think with what we've got just right now, looking on paper, I think Gerard could do more with less than Matt Moore could. And uh, and I think that um, what's going to happen there is because he can do that, then I think it's going to make the transition to Tannehill a little easier. I think I don't think it's necessarily a bad case if Matt Moore goes out and has a great season. Uh, but if he, because if he does, and you still want to hand the team over to Tannehill, then you've got you know you've got a much better trade bait at that point. Um, yep. But he's just, you know they're both free agents. So who do you resign? You know it's just going to be a big mess. But I think at some point that given what we have at the receiver position, if Moore wins the job and we start out you know three and five, four and four or something, I think they bring Tannehill. In. So I fully expect. I don't think Tannehill will win the job in camp, though he's capable of it. But I think by week ten he started. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's he's starting this year at some point. I think. I mean, there's no reason why not unless we are, unless somehow as we get into the December games we're suddenly mm-hmm. in playoff contention. Mm-hmm. Then yeah, you, you keep the hot hand in there. But otherwise, I think Tannehill has to start at some point this year. Isn't it funny though to sit here and think about uh? What happens if we have too many quarterbacks? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is kind of funny. When did, I, uh, when did that happen in Miami? Well, I read I read something a couple of years ago, and it was an article. I don't remember where it was. It said uh, it listed all the quarterback situations for every team. And Miami was listed in the top five. And this is mm-hmm. when, you know, this is right after, I think, 2009. You know, Chad Heaney was supposed to be progressing. He's going to be the next guy. I said, you know, you've got your quarterback of the future in Heaney. You've got Chad Pennington as a very solid backup. They're set at quarterback, and then things kind of went downhill. But uh, I think we are in a good good position because we have we have guys that, that, that have talents and skill sets that that can work, and, um, and, and you know, Tannehill is going to be the guy of the future, and hopefully he'll yep. be – what he was supposed to be. Yeah, it'll uh, it'll be it'll be nice to to have the problem of quarterbacks and what do we do? <laughs> I, I'm I'm okay yeah, with that answer. And, and what the and one thing about the Tannehill pick that I think uh, it's not really being overlooked, but I think it's kind of being understated somewhat. And I didn't really realize this until I went to um, I can't remember whose blog it was. It was. Ben Valens or whoever, mm-hmm. and they had a poll up. They said, you know, who, how, how do you look at uh, Jeff Island now? How would you look yeah. at his job? And they listed like four things. And like the number one was like, he's doing a great job. And they had like 79 or 80 percent people voted that. Yeah. If, we, had, uh, if they had done that poll we, like a day before the draft, it would have been completely opposite. Yep. We did it. Um, we did it, I guess, right at the first of the month, right around there. So mm. 10 days ago, a week ago. And, yeah, uh, 
the the least was Stephen Ross, who came in at 55% uh, approved of the job. Um, Jeff Island was second with 65, somewhere right in there. And then Sylvan was at 83% or something, given that he hasn't even coached a game yet. But, yeah, I I think every day Ireland is going up even more right now. And it's, yeah, if you had done this before the draft, he would have been at, like, 30%. So, yep, it's, it's it, yeah, you're right. It's amazing where we are right now. Yeah, and it's, it is, you know, a lot of people, it's kind of like you had the protest and you had the, the plane with the banner, and obviously we're just against Jeff Ireland, and then, and you know, you pick a quarterback in the first round, and it's suddenly like, it's like this big sigh of relief from the entire fan base. It's kind of like, ah, <laughs> you know, and a guy who was, people were publicly trying to get fired, now they're just kind of like, oh, he's doing great. <laughs> you know, yep. it's, it's complete, and uh, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for Ryan Tannehill. That might be a little too much pressure for him, but... I hope not. <laughs> so, Sorry, so let I'm me ask you. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Let me ask you what uh, we've got right now. Speaking of wide receivers, we've got two guys on the team that are pretty much locks. And that's Harline and Beth. And then we've got yep. ten other players fighting for four positions. Who do you yep. think those four people? Who do you think those four players are going to be? Um. Because you've got some really, you've got some some guys that ha- kind of have an angle into it. You got to figure Clyde Gates is going to be one of them. I think Gates is, Gates is number three. Yep. You've got Jeff Fuller, who has, who you know, in his junior year looked like a first round pick. Struggled last year, but the guy has talent. He's a big body. Same thing with Barry Wallace. Think, some big guys. I think Fuller. I think Fuller ends up. Yeah, I think Fuller's what what will decide Fuller's fate is whether or not the team believes they can stash him on the practice squad for a year. Mm-hmm. If they don't, I think that he ends up like the number six wide receiver on the roster, but won't even be active on on game days. But mm-hmm. we'll see. Um, okay, so we have Brian Hartline, Devon Best, Clyde Gates. Um, I think that they keep B.J. Cunningham I just because he's the rookie, he gets kept. Um, I guess you could say the same thing about Matthews, but I'm not sure because now you're looking at really one, maybe two slots left for Nani, Moore, Pruitt, Wallace. And then you still have um, Matthews, Moya, and Hogan that you could still be considering in there. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think in the long run, if you picked six, I'd go Hartline, Best, Gates, Cunningham, probably Nani, and take your pick on Wallace or Moore. I think that would be the six that make the roster. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and I'm 
I like those choices. One guy that stands out for me, I think, is uh, Richard Matthews. And I know he was a seventh-round yep. pick. But uh, what what I read, I think it was that uh, post that somebody put up as a fan shot. It was by Chris Kaufman. And he said that, you know, he uh, Matthews hurt his knee late in the season. It's kind of a mild knee injury. He re-aggravated it. His agent told him not to run his combine, but he did anyway. Ran a, according to the official time, like a 4-6-something. Yep. Um, probably closer to a 4-5-something. When his knee was a little better healed, he ran at his pro day on regular field surface, not track surface, ran a 4-4-7. Mm-hmm. And they, he said he's a lot more explosive than Cunningham. And he, he, he has value as a punt returner. And I think we finally found a guy who can make the roster as a punt returner and get Bess out of the punt returner role. Because we have a guy now that who has who is a little bit faster, a little more explosive, and who has experience doing that. You know, we've tried guys back there that were just fast yep. and they didn't have the technique or whatever. This this is somebody who's done this, and I think an excel there. And I think he actually has. I think that gets him a little bit leg up over Cunningham in that respect. But yeah, I I I really don't know. Um, we do. We have a we have a whole bunch of wide receivers who could all make the roster. And the funny part is, there are polls out there right now, and there are people, experts out there that are calling the Dolphins' wide receiver core the worst group of wide receivers in the league. Yet I can't sit here and go, "This guy's not going to make it. This guy shouldn't make it. This guy shouldn't make it." I sit here and look at this and go, "You know what?" We have a group of solid wide receivers. We don't have that number one star guy that's going to go out there and just blow your mind because his name is Brandon Marshall or Terrell Owens or Randy Moss. But yeah, he, we, we, we have a group that, as long as they can hold on to the ball, can do something. So yeah. I can't I, – I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to watch, and that's going to probably be one of the best um, – camp battles that we'll see this year. It'll be the most scrutinized for sure, uh, besides the quarterback position. And I think everybody kind of knows about the quarterback position. I think for the fans, I think the wide receiver position will be the one that people just kind of want to watch. Because they want to know, they they want to see who's going to be that guy to step up. And I think when you look at those polls a lot, I think what they're basically doing is they're comparing Number one wide receivers. Yep, they're not exactly. really looking at the core as a whole. They're like, well, the Texans have Andre Johnson, but who do they have after that? They have, you know, a bunch of nobodies. Get your guys are okay. So, but uh, listen, I'm gonna have to go. I've got a crying baby. I got to tend to. So, uh, thanks Aww. for letting me call in. Yeah, no, not <laughs> a problem. Go take care of the baby. All right, man. We'll see you. Bye. Yep. Bye. Well, with that, guys. I'm going to go ahead and uh, call the show tonight. Um, got some things working right now for next week, so hopefully uh, it won't just be me babbling on. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed it. I'm glad we got the people to call in who did call in. Thank you very much for that. Um, and uh, you all have a good night, and we'll talk to you again next week. Bye. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. 
stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. It's so hot outside. Time to go bowling. Stay cool at Bolero. With air-conditioned lanes, ice-cold beer, and a striking selection of signature cocktails. Roll in, chill out, and have fun. Visit Bolero.com for hours and weekly specials. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fullcast. I keep telling you, we're not Voltron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Podcast. It's not Voltron.